staccato handguns are trusted and approved by over 900 elite law enforcement agencies, including 65 SWAT teams. When it comes to accuracy and reliability, the choice is easy with staccato. Welcome back. I'm Jim Dudley, and you are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. If you work for an agency, can you tell the difference between prostitution, sex work, human trafficking, and people who've been sexually abused as children and find their way to working on the streets? While many cities struggle with addressing the issues that impact neighborhoods and communities, how does your department deal with it? Enforcement operations aimed at the workers, aimed at the Johns? Are there prevention efforts? If so, where do you begin? Our guest today is Susan Norris, the founder and former executive director of Rescuing Hope, and has been involved in the fight against sex trafficking in America since 2010. Susan is the author of the novel Rescuing Hope, a member of the Georgia State Human Trafficking Task Force, and a member of the Grace Commission. She is a credentialed victims advocate Welcome to the show, Susan Norris. Thank you so much for having me. Great, great. So you are doing some kind of work uh, looking out for a very vulnerable portion of our population. The Cobb County Police Department has an extensive human trafficking unit. How did you become involved with them? Well, currently, our biggest partner is uh, Marietta Police Department, which Marietta is part of Cobb County. And we work with the chief of police, uh, Chief Farrell, and with his lead lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Collins, who does a lot of work in this arena. He oversees a, a lot of things. And because our office is located technically in their jurisdiction, we do more with them. We are actually engaging in conversation with Cobb County PD this month. We have a meeting with them and the director of the GBI. So um, we've worked with Kennesaw PD, uh, Ackworth, lots of different police departments that are up and around Northwest of Metro Atlanta, as well as some within the city. Um, we just recognized that law enforcement are not just first responders as we think of for a 911 call, but they are some of the people that encounter the very population that we serve. And if they haven't been trained um, and really come to understand the issue of sex trafficking, they may look at a victim as a perpetrator and think they are choosing to be out there. They may call them a prostitute, a streetwalker, or all of the other slang terms that they've heard if they haven't been brought into and educated on some of the specifics. And our training that we provide for law enforcement specifically comes from a victim-centered approach. And the data that we present to them is a result of working with those victims and having them tell us directly what it's like to engage law enforcement, how they would be more receptive to law enforcement, so that's what we bring to the table. We also recognize uh, the mass amount of complex trauma these victims have experienced and address that with law enforcement as far as how they can approach potential victims. And as certified victims advocates, we've made ourselves available to law enforcement to help them. Um, our job is certainly not to um, try and replace them. We need every single one of them out there doing the job that they're doing. The men and women in blue are some of our biggest um, supporters and partners. 
We just want to come alongside and bring what we've learned by serving victims to help support them. Uh, their goal is the same as ours, to get the perpetrators off the streets and to help the victims. So we've been very blessed that um, even the local sheriff has um, invited us into the Adult Detention Center, where we've partnered not only with them, but where we can go into the jail and provide some um, much needed uh training for potential victims that are incarcerated because of charges they've occurred along the way. So we can take them from a victim mindset to a thriver mindset. So um, we've just had a great, great opportunity to connect with law enforcement here. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, the state of Georgia seems to take a different approach than, than I've seen in other states where it's seen as a nuisance, um, not much, uh, difference is made between uh, the perpetrators and and the victims or the sex trafficked victims and all the other things that that you mentioned they they go by um when you talk about victim informed or trauma informed interviewing and the training for police officers that's so important well the state of Georgia requires students in grades 6 through 12 to receive a human trafficking awareness lesson your nonprofit organization rescuing hope offers sex trafficking 101 it helps teachers know what to look out for how did you develop that course again i'm an educator by trade and it, that's really what um caused me to start digging into this issue. I was working with middle school students, honestly, as a volunteer sponsor in a club. So I was in the middle school three, four days a week with the students. And when I learned about the issue of trafficking in 2010, I realized that one of the young ladies that had come through that club every week, and I had seen her, that she was a victim of trafficking. I actually tracked her family down and verified that she was in recovery when I finally tracked them down and I started thinking that I'm a mom, I'm female, I'm an educator that gives me license to be nosier than the FBI. And if I missed all the signs, who else is missing the science of this in school? And the data in Georgia tells us that 90% of the domestic minor sex trafficking victims that have been served in our state um, that have come through Georgia Cares or the Children's Advocacy Center of Georgia, 90% were attending school while they were being groomed, recruited, or lured. So what we do is we go in and educate teachers on what does grooming look like? What is the luring process look like? How might a student manifest in school? And many of those indicators are very similar to substance abuse, domestic violence in the home, just traditional child abuse as we're all familiar with. But when we see two, three, four, five of those stacking, as we call them on top of each other, you very likely have a trafficking victim or someone who's about to be taken into the sex trade. So we've been able to go into schools. We do sex trafficking 101 for the staff. And then we have a program called Reality Check for students that gets them into a large group setting where we present a large group um, one-time uh, curriculum presentation. Um, and we actually just completed that for Marietta City Schools from 6th through 12th grade, including their alternative school for their at-risk students. 
And it was amazing the response that we got back from the educators, from the parents, and from the students themselves saying, you know, I had no idea. Several young ladies came forward and said, I'm going to be more careful. When we got to the alternative school, there was one teacher who was a former vice cop, and he came up to me and he he had tears in his eyes and he said, I can't thank you enough. I know these kids and I know there are probably four, five, six girls in this school that are potentially being trafficked right now based on what you taught. And I also can look around and see signs from some of the young men that they're probably part of the problem and we need to reach them as well. And so that was really the driving force behind developing the training for educators. Then we developed a training for medical personnel because 88% of victims are seen in an urgent care, a women's center, or an ER. And they just don't ask them the right questions. And we've partnered with a local um, hospital um, corporation here in uh, northwest of Atlanta, Wellstar Hospital. They've actually credentialed our training And as they've implemented it, they have rescued countless victims out of the emergency departments and the women's centers and gotten them into recovery. And it's because of implementing that trauma-informed piece that allows them to really get the individual to open up and to share what they need. Yeah, that's all all great stuff. So you've essentially built identifying uh, the human trafficking element into the mandatory reporter category. As much as we can, everywhere that we can, because, you know, there's not one person or one organization that's going to eradicate this issue from our nation. Um, It seems absolutely just mind boggling to me that this happens in the United States. But the data says not only is it happening here, but Americans are the biggest perpetrators of this evil. And so the more people we can educate, the more people we can get talking about this and learning what it looks like, the harder it will be. And so that's our primary goal. Yeah. And you mentioned some feedback from the students. What <laughs> what are the stories that you're hearing? Are, are these, is there a commonality among their backgrounds, single parent, no parent? Um, what are you seeing? No, honestly, what we've learned from working at this is that this evil is not a respecter of persons, that traffickers will go after any demographic because they're they're seeing people as a widget. And it's just, I'm selling this widget to gain money, goods, or services. That's why the issue of human trafficking is surpassing gun sales and, and drug sales because it's a non-consumable commodity. It's a very high profitability, low risk for the the perpetrators, the traffickers. The students that are coming forward are starting to recognize that, you know, pretty much anywhere I go, be it physically or online, that there are perpetrators there. And the thing they're saying was, I had no idea. I'm basically handing them a roadmap to me by the things I post, the pictures I put up there when I vent, all of the different things. And then just the naivety of thinking, well, I want to be popular among my peers. So I'll accept anyone who wants to like, follow, swipe, whatever the particular platform requires, because they want to have large numbers and be perceived as an influencer. Our culture today is pushing young people to be an influencer. Um, They need to influence their own safety and then the safety of those around them before they try and influence other people. Because 
younger people are coming behind them and they're starting to model their behavior out of what they see the older peers doing. And it puts more and more kids at risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in San Francisco, where I worked, uh, a lot of the kids were runaways. Uh, they came to the city because it was, you know, it was a big city from the suburbs or even out of state. And we'd find them, try to uh, ascertain where they were from, if they had uh, parents or guardians nearby. And otherwise, we would contact Children's Protective Services. And that would be that. Um, are you uh, training law enforcement officers there to have some sort of approach with runaways? So we have some recommended protocols. We recognize that each department has to do whatever they're required to do. But the state of Georgia, one of the reasons that we're one of the front runners in this is because our governor and first lady have taken this issue on as a huge platform for them to plow through. We've passed phenomenal legislation already that has really helped law enforcement and nonprofits like ourselves, but ultimately has helped the victims. And in the process of doing that, our state attorney general, Chris Carr, has established a human trafficking task force within his office where they have special prosecutors, special investigators that are trained in this, and they will partner with the local investigators and prosecutors. And then the Georgia Human Trafficking State Task Force has a arm on that task force that deals with the law enforcement from the local and state level. Then our director of GBI has worked to create their human trafficking task force that deals with labor as well as sex trafficking. So we have so many layers in all areas of government that have built specialty groups within their sphere of influence to work. So the local police officer has the option of reaching out to the GBI and bringing in their specialist through the HEAT team in. They can reach out to the state attorney general to bring their investigator in. So one of the things that we've said is know your resources, know what the state provides to help you. Because your typical beat cop, they have to learn the law. They're out there doing trafficking is one piece of all the things that they're doing. So we're always telling them, don't feel like you have to be the expert in trafficking. Just know all the resources that you can pull into your back pocket the instant you think you have something going on. That's why we feel it's so important for us to train not just investigators, but the typical beat cop, because they're the one that are likely going to see things. By the time you've got to an investigator, you've got a case you're looking at. But we have found people who have had stops with um, a traffic stop, a simple something like that, and it turns out to be a trafficking case. Our former GBI director, Vic Reynolds, loves to tell the story where a law enforcement officer stopped this car for a typical traffic violation. And when the officer got there, just picked up on a few things about the way the young lady in the car was dressed versus the guy, the way they talked to each other. So he separated them. And then they brought the GBI in and they have specialty people who are accustomed to this and came in all along. They kept asking this young lady, who is that guy? And she kept saying, oh, he's my boyfriend. He's my boyfriend. When the female officer got there and sat beside her and offered her food and was just sitting there having a snack with her, shooting the breeze. And she's like, so who's that guy over there? And the girl goes, oh, he's my owner. 
And so instantly, because this officer was very well versed on how to get these young ladies to speak and to come forth, they recognized they had a trafficking case and were able to move forward and help this young lady get the resources she needed while locking up the perpetrator. Wow. Wow. That's that's powerful. And when you talk about the GBI, you're talking about the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Yes, right? that is correct. So uh, what have been some of the challenges to the program? Any pushback from teachers or parents or anybody else? Sadly, when you talk about sex trafficking, people think you're talking about sex. They think you're going to go in there and pass out condoms and talk to kids about how to have sex. And if we don't talk about it, they won't do it, which is ludicrous in and of itself. But we're not talking about the mechanics of sex. I tell them when I stand up, we're not talking about puzzle pieces and parts and how they fit together and what your choice or orientation or preference or pronouns are. That's irrelevant when it comes to trafficking. Because a trafficker is going to sell you for whatever someone's willing to pay. They really don't care if you're a homosexual, heterosexual, transgender, or any of the like. So we talk about safety, awareness, and prevention. We talk about steps that students can take to make themselves less vulnerable to a trafficker. Things that they can do that make them a harder prospect for a trafficker. Because the reality is no one can make you 100% um, just protected from traffickers because they walk everywhere we do. They shop where we do. Some of them worship where we do. So what we try to share with these young people is just like if you're talking about home invasion safety, you tell them to, you know, keep your shrubbery cut away from the windows, put a security sign in, get your guard dog, make sure you don't leave your papers laying at the end of the road. Because if someone's looking to burglarize your house, they're going to look at two. And if one's beautifully manicured lawn, has a you know security system sign, and they have this sign and rover sounds more like Cujo, that person's not breaking into that house. But if it's overgrown or a window's cracked or there's papers at the end of the road, it's like, that's easy. I'll be in and out before anyone pays attention. We do the same thing with young people. These are the steps you can take on your social media. This is what you can do for a safety protocol with your devices. This is how you keep them on private and how you share only information with people that you know. And just because you're connected on social doesn't make them a friend. They're still a, a stranger if you haven't had face-to-face -face interaction with them. Sure, sure. Hey, I'd like to talk some more about the program and, um, and, and the children involved. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Choose the handgun trusted by over 900 law enforcement agencies across the country. With Staccato, you can feel confident knowing you aren't sacrificing incredible accuracy for reliability. Whether you're protecting your family at home or on duty, Staccato has your back. Military and law enforcement receive discount pricing through the Staccato Heroes Program. Visit wwwstaccato 2011 backslash heroes program.com to learn more. That's staccato, S-T-A-C-C-A-T-O, 2011 backslash heroes-program.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Susan Norris, the founder and former executive director of Rescuing Hope, Rescuing Hope. And you're the former uh, executive director because <laughs> you just hired a new one. That Good for you. Uh, clean off the plate a little, concentrate on some of the other stuff. You've got employees working 
And how effective has the program been? Have Do you have some sort of data that helps you track the number of people you've talked to? Or how do you measure success? We certainly keep account of numbers each year that we present programs to. Um, we're trying to develop right now a, a tool that we can do uh, to collect um, progression of understanding the material. The problem is because we're dealing with school systems and privacy settings for students and all the things that we tell them to do to keep kids safe, they don't just release information to us. Um, we need to keep the students safe. And the fact of the matter is they keep them even safe from us finding out data. So we're trying to work with school systems to find out what are the ways that we can collect uh, data from the students to learn how that has been helpful. Now, what we have found with staff when we do our sex trafficking 101, we do an evaluation where they do a self-ranking of their understanding of what trafficking is, how it works, what to report, all of that before the training and after. And the vast majority goes from an understanding of a two or a three up to an eight or nine after we're done. Um, in fact, we almost, without exception, have someone standing after the training to come up and say, oh my gosh, I've missed a student. I, I now realize. Same is true with our medical training. We'll have doctors or nurses in the ER who say, oh my gosh, just last week I saw three victims based on what you taught me. What can I do? And my response is always the same. You can't be held accountable for what you didn't know before, but now you know what you know, use it moving forward and share it with your colleagues because with school systems, teachers move around and they may go to a school or a school system that hasn't been trained. That makes them the expert in that building or in that school system. So share what you know. We also have tons of resources online um, that allow people to download and share with individuals. We've created um, a quick action card. Um, this is one of them. It's got just uh, the basics. This one is actually for law enforcement. We make it the size of a credit card when it's folded so it can go in your wallet. Or if you're a nurse, you can stick it in one of your mini kangaroo pockets on your scrubs. And it just gives you simple things, behaviors to look for, their appearance, specific things to ask, to put them through a very basic inquiry. And if you feel like you've hit someone that is potentially a victim, at that point, if they're a minor, as a mandatory reporter, you have to call. If they're over 18, there are steps you can take so they can call. And we had just last month a young lady, I woke up at five to go to the gym and I had a voicemail from a young lady. And she said, hey, I turned 27 tomorrow and I'm getting out of this on my birthday one way or another. So if you call, great. If not, it's been nice. And so I immediately went, well, this is grounds to wake up the caseworker. So <laughs> I called her, gave her the message and got her making contact with this young lady and getting her in a cab. She was able to exit the hotel without suspicion and get into a cab and meet our caseworker in the emergency room of the hospital. Um, for safety purposes, I will not allow our caseworkers to go and do a physical rescue. We only allow law enforcement to do that. So 
in the meantime, I'm calling the chief. I'm calling the lead lieutenant, trying to wake everybody up. Somebody talked to me, um, ended up merging them both together because they both called me back at the same time. They were wheels up. And by the time our young lady got to the um, hospital and met with our caseworker, they unleashed the lieutenant and his team and they went to the hotel where she said the exact room, broke down the door, found a trafficker and arrested him, rescued another young lady and another trafficker got out the window. But they were able to act swiftly because we've cultivated these great relationships with them. And they know if we say, hey, this is legit, they're going to go and investigate it. Wow. Yeah, that's, those are great success stories. So in, in the years that you've done this and you know uh, from the feedback from your curriculum, what should law enforcement officers know uh, over the past decade? Uh, you've talked to law enforcement officers. Did they ever come up and say, wow, that was really revealing when you said X? I think it's the mental health piece and understanding, you know, it's real easy to think of a trafficker as some stupid street thug who's just trying to make a fast buck. But the reality is they're very street savvy. They understand trauma bonds. They understand Stockholm syndrome and they are masterminds at it. They, they could rival the people that deal with prisoners of war, honestly. In fact, complex trauma therapists tell us that the victims exhibit the same type of PTSD when they come out of the life as prisoners of war. Mm -hmm. So we know that they are that savvy. So we have to acknowledge that first. And then we have to talk about how a victim would respond to you. Because the officer's thinking, you know, I'm killing myself out here. And, and I go up and ask her a question. She calls me a stupid pig. She cusses me out. She spits at me. That's not a victim. She's here because she wants to. So we start unpacking the why and, and the history that is typical of most victims and how they behave. Um, I have a great little skit where I always get the biggest, burliest police officer, usually 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and I'm all of 5'4 when I come out of my heels. And I make him do a, a role play for me uh, in front of all of his peers, and it makes him very uncomfortable. Um I don't do it to shame him. I want him to recognize how a victim is feeling when someone who is bigger, when someone who has authority and has the leverage. A law enforcement officer has all the authority, all the leverage. And if they're male, they're big, traditionally bigger than their victim. And mm -hmm. they believe in themselves and the victim doesn't. So we talk about what they can do to put themselves on more of a level playing field where the victim does not feel threatened by them, but will start to neuromap them to safety instead of neuromapping them to threat. We all practice neuromapping all day long. We just don't recognize it. Nobody says, oh, hey, how have you neuromapped today? Or everybody would be like, what is she talking about? <laughs> but every time you walk in a room or a building, um, your head's on a swivel. And if you're law enforcement, it's probably on a swivel as much as a victim because you know you're at threat and threat all the time, especially in this culture that we live in today. Our men and women in blue are threatened almost as much as those they're protecting. So we all choose in every single situation, is this a situation that is safe for me or is it threatening? And then we're going to respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. We have traffickers who have told 
their victims, that law enforcement's pigs, that they're going to hurt you. They're going to lock you up. They're going to beat you. They may rape you in the back seat of their car and still arrest you. They're trying to break up the family. Uh, don't let them, you know, don't give them my name. They'll just take me away from you. And I love you. And all of this, just layer upon layer upon layer. Mm-hmm. So by the time she encounters you, she looks at you and instantly thinks threat. It does, You haven't even opened your mouth. Mm-hmm. And she's thinking threat. So we teach them ways to peel back the layers of that so that it's just an even Stephen. This is just a person talking to me. They're not going to hurt me. They may not help me. And we teach them the types of questions, how to phrase things, physically how to be, what to wear, when to approach, when to bring a female into that conversation. And the more you do that on the front side of things, the more you'll get from them on the back side. We also need to teach them, and this was a big aha moment for law enforcement, is when you experience complex trauma, your thinking brain, the frontal lobe, the part of the brain that goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, sequence and understands how things happen. That shuts off like that when you're in flight or fight mode. So the part of the brain that works it's the emotional part of the brain. It's the smelling, tasting, thinking, all of, I'm not thinking, the uh, seeing, all of your five senses. That's what you can do. So if you ask questions that are one of those questions versus tell me what happened, because they're in trauma brain. They can't in that moment tell you what happened, mm-hmm. but they can tell you, I heard a train when this was going on. They can tell you, um, I heard loud music on the floor below, which may be that this place was above a club, or they can give you those types of answers. They can give you smells. They can give you that. And you can put the places together. Well, if you hear train tracks and you smell coffee and, you know, you hear this noise, well, you're, they can figure out pretty quick where in Atlanta you might be or where in San Francisco you might be. Because they know their beat. They understand where the coffee shops are, where the trains run and all of that. So it just gives them a whole new set of tools. And then as you start to piece it together and you can say, hey, well, were you in this place? And then it falls into place. Actually, yeah, that's where I was. And this is what happened. And they can give you, it's like putting a puzzle together. They don't have the box lid. They can just throw you a piece one at a time. And sometimes they don't even know what they're giving you. But officers are really good at their job if they're patient and they take time to listen and they recognize this person's not being difficult. They want you to help them more than you want to help them. They just don't know how to help you help them. Mm -hmm. So we teach law enforcement officers how to do that. And it has been remarkable. I think one of my favorite cases was... um, a detective in Kennesaw, Georgia, that, um, and there's actually a video of him talking on our website where he said, you know, we, um, we just had the training, we had a traffic stop. And he said something about it just seemed off. And so started thinking about all the things Susan had talked to me about. And he said, it's like following a recipe in a cookbook. I said this, she said that I did this, boom, boom, boom. She's going to recovery. He's going away in cups. And he said, I was jacked after that. It was so easy where it had been so hard before. So we love when law enforcement gives us that kind of feedback because 
like I said, our role is to help them do their job well and to help those that we are both mutually trying to serve. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Hey, last question before I let you go. And, you know, I often hear from students, people who say that prostitution is a victimless crime. I'm sure you've heard that. And we've got legislators who think that if they legalize it, everything will fall into place. There will be better health care and no black market or uh, any criminality. What's What do you think? I think they need to pay attention to what uh, former President Jimmy Carter had to say probably five, if not eight years ago. Um, he pitches that we should follow the Nordic model in any type of treatment of legislation on this issue. The Nordic model finds the purchasers and the sellers as the criminals and sees the victim as the person being bought and sold. They do not criminalize the, the women and men being sold for sex, but those who purchase and those who sell. What they have found is everywhere where uh, sex, where prostitution has been legalized, there has been a huge upsweep in trafficking because it takes away all of the protective things. If it's legal, then who's looking to see for the ones that are being coerced, forced, or uh, brought it into that type of situation? So that would be my response. Um, I've been in this work since 2010. I've only met one person who truly chose that life, and I've talked to hundreds of of people both uh, I've been to events where sex workers have been protesting for their rights and the interesting thing is after having a conversation and and sitting down one in particular I, I think about is when I went to Denver Colorado for a conference and everyone at that conference was um, an anti-human trafficking group and there was one sole person she was a dancer and she her name was Billy, and she had her own table there. And sadly, some people were being really ugly to her um, because they saw her as the enemy of helping them do their work. And so I asked her for coffee, and she said, are you serious? I said, sure. I want to hear your story. I'll listen to everything you have to say, and then I'll tell you mine. And we sat and talked, and the reality of her situation was she would say she chose it, but she was kicked out of the only place um, that she had lived. She had experienced sexual assault in her home. And then anyone that would let her stay with them required that she sleep with them in order to do so, which is survival sex. She had a child, so now she has someone she's trying to provide for and protect. So she didn't want to have to take that child around sofa surfing. Um, so she wanted some type of income that she could bring home. But she had not finished school, so she had no marketable skill set. She had no support network that believed in her as an individual and saw worth and value in her as a person that was trying to help her. So she had really no choice on the table. The option for her was to either sell her body through stripping and sex dates and all of that, or starve to death. She said she couldn't even get into some of the homeless shelters. Mm -hmm. So my response to her was, okay, 
So if you really had no other option, there was just A, there was no B, there's just A. If I tell you, you can only have Coca-Cola to drink and I don't give you an option of something else, am I really giving you a choice? Or am I just presenting one option and there are no others? And she just sat there and cried. Mm. And she said, I'm still not sure I agree with you, but you've given me a lot to think about. And more importantly, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and treat me as a person. Um, And she grabbed my card and she said, I'll keep in touch. I've never heard from her again. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know if she's still dancing, if she's still servicing clients on the side or what. But I find it very hard to believe that any human being would want to have sex with 10 to 30 strangers a night who are choking them out, who are beating them up, who require them to dress certain ways, who require them to do sex acts that they don't get to have a voice or choice in. And those are the women that I serve, the ones who all they wanted to do was go to a party, but it turned out to be a pre-reign gang rape and they became the the guest of honor. Or they trusted someone was giving them a job and it turned out to be something different. Or they thought they were going after love and this person they've been talking to online was their soulmate only when they arrived where they were going to find out otherwise. So um I would say, let's don't judge. Let's start asking questions and start listening to people. It doesn't take a few minutes to do that. And you start to really see the woundedness and the brokenness of those. Um, And, you know, my heart is just to help people. So um, I I mean, no ill will towards anybody except those who are harming people. Wow. Okay. Hey, thanks so much for taking time. Thanks for what you do. And uh, I hope other agency uh, representatives hear your story and and get in contact with you and and look at uh, replicating it where they are. Uh, You can click on the Rescuing Hope webpage and read more about former executive director, Susan Norris, (laughs) the founder, and uh, check it out, Rescuing Hope uh, involved in the fight against sex trafficking in America. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Jim. Have a good day. You too. Hey, to our listeners, hope you enjoyed today's show and I hope you check out Rescuing Hope. You can see the link below in our show notes. I'm going to ask Susan to send us a uh, photo of that card that uh, officers can keep in their pockets and nurses can keep in their scrubs to uh, give them a lookout, uh, a list of what to look out for and uh, and follow up. All right, let me know what you think. Drop me a line at policingmatters at policeone.com, policingmatters at policeone.com. Stay safe out there and hope to talk to you again real soon. Take good care.